Our series we've been in is Healing Hearts, Strengthening Homes, looking at the reality of God's call. As it's Father's Day, God called Father Abraham, had many sons. If you're in Sunday school, you know the song. But it's intentional to look at time and time again. He calls and elevates fathers. And he calls us as fathers to, as many know, reflect him. And when we don't do our job, that not only hurts, but it extenuates that hurt and and mars the image that God has and and has experienced in that relationship. And so this is a big day and a big deal. And as we look at today, continuing this series, but also looking at the reality of who we're looking to as dads, as fathers, and our wives and our kids are looking to us, and if we're not looking to Jesus, that's going to be a big problem. We realize that today we're full of choices, not just what we're going to eat today or experiences we're going to have maybe during the summer of our vacation, but we come constantly and and culturally in a lot of ways to a fork in the road. There's a lack of clarity. There's a lot of confusion about choices, and God gave us the, the free will and the ability to make decisions and options He gives us this because he loves us and desires us to choose him, and he gives us the ability to make these choices. And all of our choices, though, theologically, we need to understand there's his perfect or sovereign will. You can't touch that. It's like the painted lines on a football field. You cannot change the out-of-bounds of the goal lines, despite how our culture continues to try and think we can just make up our own truths. It's set. It's sovereign. It's his perfect will. Now... Within those boundaries, there's his express will. When he says, hey, run a post route, and you try and do a handoff and run it up the middle, that's, you didn't listen, right? But you have free will. You can choose what place you do within those boundaries. So there's his perfect sovereign will. Our choices are within that where we get his expressed will. And that's where we have our choices. We can choose it to live our lives our way, or we can choose God's way. We can choose man's way or we can choose God's way. We can choose the secular or the sacred. And when we, when we make choices, we don't always realize or take into account the consequences of our choices. And unfortunately, we don't get to choose our choices and choose consequences. We only get to choose our choices. And then consequences come, and those are in God's hands. The reality is when, when Jesus said, our lips... Our lips let people know what's in your heart. He said, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So when we make choices of our words, when we make choices about what we're hearing, we know, well, that's in their heart. And we know that his will is understood through his word, and that helps us walk in his ways. Isaiah 3 makes it clear, when men don't choose rightly, Kids rebel, women take illegitimate authority, men are neutered, and in Isaiah's case, they fall on the sword. We see that time and time again, even today, where many males are operating outside of God's plan and aren't godly men, aren't operating in his kingdom. And it all starts with a choice. We see to the end of Joshua, after Joshua's followed the Lord, taken over from Moses as he passed away, led him into the promised land at the end, he's like, all right, time out, we got to we got another check, circle the wagons, a little family conversation here in verse 14, 15. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
And he calls them, he says, put away the lowercase g, the gods, the false gods of your fathers. Now this is God's chosen people, Israel. And, and he's saying, put away the, the, the gods of your fathers who they serve beyond the river in Egypt. And serve the Lord. In verse 15 he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, who they served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, so the, the neighboring people who live around us, in whose land you dwell. And he says this, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. These are the two questions we're going to look at today. Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving the Lord? Are we serving, you fill in the blank. And then how about your household? Is your household serving the Lord? It's a personal decision for you to make, and then it's coming under God's authority, coming under his coverage, and then having that authority in your home to say, all right, we're, as a household, we're serving the Lord. And it's an encouragement, but also an opportunity to make a declaration, because we all are going to leave a legacy. We've all had grandparents and, and, and grandmas, but the grandfathers, it goes without saying what they did, what they said, you, their wives, your grandparents, you know what they stood for, you know what the priorities were. I knew, I know without a doubt, my grandpa loved golf, because every time I was there, it was always on. Like when you look at the time, he spent either watching golf, playing golf, or walking around a golf course watching golfers, was not up for any question or doubt. It was clear. He loved golf. And it's no surprise. That's what I inherited from him. A set of clubs. Like, that's no, that's just, that's there. What, what is your legacy? What time are you giving to fill in the blank? And to your grandkids, are they going to go, you know what? He did a lot of things, but he loved the Lord. Joshua says, time out. There's a lot of stuff and a lot of gods and a lot of idols in your life. And, and there's still, even though we're out of Egypt physically, there's still some Egypt left in you. And these other people, this culture, it's, still, it's getting in you too. So we got a time out. Are you going to serve the Lord with sincerity? Are you going to be a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus? That's what we define as a disciple. And it's a process. It's a progress. It's not a perfection thing. It's not all of a sudden we're just a perfect disciple that's why he told the disciples, come and follow me. Come on this journey with me. And the way you're living and those who you're surrounded by, are they influencing you more than, than God is, than his word? Who has the authority in your life? Don't let the place or the people you're living determine who you look like or who you're following. We've been and have constantly are surrounded by cloudy, confusing narratives. And that's by design. Because we know Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven, but this earth has the enemy, in its, and the enemy has this earth in its grasp. So as we hear the narratives, it's telling us who we are, what to think, where we can move, what we're to say, and how we're to feel, whether it's on the street or from the media. And as you guys have seen, I know... There's a lot of things I'm aware of, and looking at Scripture, it's like, yeah, it's always been there and guiding the church, but maybe some of the, the dads didn't really know much about what's been going on until all of a sudden the Dodgers stadium has a protest outside, and a few people are in the stadium, and more people are outside the stadium because of a decision that the Dodgers made and then went back on to honor the nuns of perpetual indulgence. 
And we see that the verse we shared with your kids, the first part of Hebrews 12, 2, it's no accident the siren's going off because we're in a spiritual battle. It's not a physical one. As we continue to realize in every moment, we look at this verse, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Satan knows every Sunday this word's going to be opened, and as we're calling dads, as God calls dads, and as God sent his son to give dads and fathers, this is the example. Look to Jesus. You are called to be a leader. You need to look to a leader. Look to Jesus. There's a lot of good examples and leadership books that have come out, but Jesus is the perfect leader. He's the one who founded and perfects our faith. He's in charge of our faith. And he had the joy that was before him to endure the cross. He shows us, dads, tirelessly full of longing and suffering, but yet with joy to endure. And he endured to the cross, which we were supposed to be there, but we're not there because of him. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, which we shared the first part with your kids. So parents and grandparents, it's your job as we partner with you to go and help your kids memorize the full verse that Jesus is ruling and reigning. And yeah, there's an enemy and he's around the earth distracting, distorting, but Jesus wins. And so let's play for the team that wins. And Joshua says, all right, we need to clarify some things here because the culture's getting in. We're confused. We're cloudy. We got some other lowercase g's, some other gods here from Egypt or or from the Amorites, we gotta clarify, who are you serving? And he says, look, my choice is made up. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And it's not influenced by the culture around me, it's decided, and I have the confidence, it's Christ in me, and I'm gonna serve him wholeheartedly. And his commitment is to do the, to do the will of God. He knew the culture they were in then, Abraham was called out of a very worldly culture. As we see with Noah in the flood, we're back to the days of Noah, which Jesus said that's where we're going to be before he comes back and gets us because he's prepared a place for us in heaven. So we need to be aware but not afraid. And as the culture turned again, Joshua was like, okay, time out. Are you, are you following me? Because we need to be on the same page following the Lord because we have this promise. He's always provided for us. But if you guys keep kind of playing the sacred one day and then secular the rest of the day, it's not going to go well. It never has, it never will. And, and men, we've been there. I've seen it growing up in church and I've been confused for a while. Like, how do you show up for an hour, be sacred, and then the rest of the week you're secular? And, and really this, this theme of everything is spiritual helped me understand and grasp, oh, when I'm getting gas or when I'm ordering in and out or when I'm with my, my family, everyone's watching always. And it's not just when I'm in front of a pulpit with a Bible that I'm supposed to be using my gifts that God's given me and walking in that victory and realizing that we've always had that tendency and that tension as men. We can show up, put on a smile, leave at surface level, but never be honest and say, hey, I need help. Hey, my marriage is actually struggling. I haven't been talking with my wife in weeks. Hey, can you, can you help me out? My finances are a mess. Like men, we don't usually do that, right? It's like we'll drive the car till the wheels fall off, and it's like, what happened? Well, I, I guess the lug nuts were loose. It's like, dude, I'm a mechanic. You could have told me, like, I could tighten those for you. No, it's okay. I'll just buy another car. Like, no, you can't, you have to be 
open and humble and honest, and that's where he's saying, hey, you can't keep putting these false gods and idols. Remember how that was bad for you in Egypt? Remember you were slaves? Why are you worshiping their gods? That was a losing season for you. Why don't you be, God won the victory, conquered those gods, led you out of Egypt, and you're like, yeah, I want the blessing of God, but I don't want to submit under his authority. Because these gods will give me my desires and, and will feed me what I want and serve me. I don't want to serve God. And that's, that's the problem, man. As fathers, when, when we open God's word, it says, okay, are you going to serve God with sincerity or are you going to keep wanting these idols to serve you? And you think about the, the definition of idol is anything or anyone that's above God, the one true God, the one that's calling for you to be under his authority. God cannot be second. He won't allow any competing ideas or people. We pray to God, but yet at the same time we allow competing ideas. We want the blessings of God without the submission to God. We don't need any more confusion. We need clarity. And many men, we, we grew up like I did on Sizzler, like the buffet style. You get to pick and choose what you want. And I think I'm still trying to shrink my stomach from all those years of like, getting ice cream and salad and then throwing some steak in there with some cereal and it's all good, like it's Sizzler. What it, you can have everything you want, whenever you want, how often you want. And eventually it was like, okay, maybe I can't have as much ice cream as I thought, just all you can eat. I meant that's truly like all you can eat. Just kept trying to eat and it, eventually you hit a limit. But we can't pick and choose. God set the boundaries, he set the authority. And in Ezekiel 23, 30, he's saying, look, I'm looking for men, but I can't find any. So now the consequence of sin is the land is cursed. We see that in Romans. The consequence, the creation is groaning and longing for a redeemer, Jesus to come. And our nation has been allowing mocking of Jesus for century and making it culturally acceptable. And we see with the Dodgers fearing the LGBTQ and allowing them to come in, and, and we see the, the Christians and, and, and people standing out front saying, no, 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 we're not going to stand for this. We're going to protest. And as I've, I've shared, in Easter, I felt convicted because my daughter's in second grade and comes home and goes, we can't go to Target anymore. Oh, I'm so mad. And it's like, oh, the tension as a dad. We know it's coming. As I read God's word, as I'm a pastor, my job is to equip you to go out there and stand for the truth, but also love those who are against God and say, we're called to go. Like our mission statement, Jesus' prayer for us is that we would know God, grow in that relationship with God and others, and that we wouldn't, Jesus says, don't take them out of the world, but that the world might know me through them which means your neighbor who's a liar, which means your brother-in-law who's a swindler and a thief, which means the adulterer down the street or the drunkard at work or the person who's same-sex attracted, lesbian or homosexual, God wants all people to be saved. And so to process with my second grader, yes, they're choosing to disobey God and not flourish the way God has planned but God hasn't given up on them. Let's pray for them. Let's look for an opportunity because Satan, it's a spiritual war, it's a spiritual battle, has blinded them. Our heart isn't trying to just pick a political party or pick a team, who's gonna win this one or lose this one. No, it's, we're kingdom men. And so we have to wade into the gray areas. We have to wade into this and say, no, we're gonna use our position in Christ confidently 
pray and seek that they would know God's love and they would believe and be saved. Because the beautiful verse that Paul shares in 1 Corinthians, some of you were, but you're not that anymore. Now you are a follower of Christ. You've been justified, sanctified, washed with the blood, and you're a new person. And so as men, we have to first decide who are we following? Because all of culture for all of time has been confusing, trying to be tossed to and fro. And and if you say this thing, you get a promotion. If you don't, you get fired. And now we're back to that. And it's no surprise. We knew we were going to be here. Some of you just kind of thought, hey, I'll duck my head. It'll be okay. These emails will, will go away someday. No, it's gotten more increasingly intense. And like in Joshua's day, he's like, hey, who are you going to serve? That's for me and my, hey, and my, you might think it's evil, whatever. Like, that's your decision. Me and my house, we're serving the Lord. The two questions we have here. We need not males, although that's a term that culture thinks they can redefine and discuss. We need men who declare, I'm a kingdom man. I'm under the authority of God, and I'm submitting to that authority, fully devoted with Full humility, fully devoted to following Jesus. The interesting thing is I've grown in leadership, read a bunch of leadership books, and seen time and time again, anybody who wants to be in authority, who's unwilling to be under authority, deserves no authority. Anyone who's not willing to submit and be under authority cannot be trusted. 100% of the time. And I've got nods last service and this service. It's like, yeah, that's worth the price of admission. Like, The reality, when the Bible says, wives, submit to your husband, if he's not submitted to God, that's where we have long conversations. Because if he's not submitted to God, how can you submit to him? But if he is submitted to God, it's the most blessed thing ever because as we'll get into it, if he's chosen to follow Jesus, guess where he's leading the family? Guess where he's leading you? To the Savior. It's a beautiful thing. It's how God planned it. First, the personal choice to follow Jesus or follow fill in the blank. Men today, unfortunately, I found out, I've never dissected a squid until a couple weeks ago. I was with Micah at a fifth grade camp, pull out the squids, and they're ripping beaks out and cutting the thing. I'm like, whoa, you're supposed to be gentle and dissect it. They're just smashing this thing, like, this is awesome. You know, guts are going everywhere, but there's no spine. Like, yeah, that's how we've been. We're just tossed to and fro culturally. There's no spine. There's no backbone. There's no, there's no Joshua's anymore who are like, hey, I don't know. The culture's against me. You are all against me, whatever. I am serving the Lord. I'm following Jesus. You can follow gods from Egypt. You can follow the gods of the Amorites, your neighbors. Live like the world. But I, I'm serving the Lord. And we see, some of you are like, well, where did he get this spine? Where did he get this clarity and this confidence? We see in the beginning of Joshua, Joshua 5. Before God brings Joshua and the Israelites in to the promised land, We see chapter 5, verse 13, Joshua was by Jericho. Before he takes Jericho, he lifts up his eyes and looks, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Notice Joshua doesn't send a servant or his general. He goes and asks, hey, who are you? What's up? Are you for us or for our adversaries? In verse 14, he says, no but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. See, Joshua was like, are you Republican or Democrat? Are you a giant or a dodger? Like, we gotta figure this out. Like, where are you at? Are you for me or against me? And he's like, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I got my sword drawn, and Joshua's like, oh, 
my bad, and bows down. Like, I'm, I'm the servant, he says, Joshua fell on his face in the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Humility, the posture of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus, a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus. What does Jesus tell me to do? I'm doing it. Wherever he calls me to go, I'm doing it. That's where he gets clarity. Now, many of you guys are like, I'll follow Jesus if he sends the, the commander of the Lord's army and a sword drawn, I'll submit. He has, it's his word. He told us he'll do it. Let's believe it. He has this encounter that brings this incredible clarity that he realizes, oh, I'm a part of this kingdom. And this king is ruling and reigning forever, as we looked at in Hebrews 12, which means all of your finances, all of your physical, all of your spiritual, he's going to care for all of it in that kingdom. So why not submit to his authority and allow his authority to reign and rule in your life and in your houses? He doesn't go and ask a vote for his wife and say, hey, there's this weird commander of the Lord's army out there. What do you think I should do? He makes a decision for himself and for his house. We're going to serve the Lord. The man is the one who God holds accountable all through Scripture. God goes to Adam and says, hey, Adam, what's up? What's the deal? Even though he knows Eve had her part to play in it, he keeps Adam accountable. Secondly, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God never says, I'm the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. He is the God of those women. Women are intentionally needed and vitally important and responsible, but God holds men responsible for their wives and their households. Paul reminds us of this authority when he says in Romans that in Adam all have died. Under God's authority, then kingdom men are serving in authority over their wives and their kids. But the kids and their wives don't get to override God's word. And that's the challenge. God lays out in Genesis, wives, you're going to want to override your husbands. Husbands, you're just going to want to kick back and have, you know, drop ship or whatever's culturally the, the cool thing to just have automatic money flowing. And God's like, that's not what it's about. You're going to have blisters, scars on your hands, Life's going to be hard, and then you die, so who are you serving in the meantime? And your wives are going to want to control you, so wives, submit to your husbands. That's the challenge. God's Word says it. Don't get mad at me. Talk to God about it. We'll give you communion time to have that conversation later. But for the men, our job is to go submit to God first so we can demonstrate, and we can love, and we can protect and provide as God's called us to. And the perfect example, Philippians 2, 3 through 5, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. As Jesus gave us this example, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So in Christ we have this mind to think not less of ourselves, but to think about ourselves less and think about our wives and our kids, our households, our communities, and put their needs above our own. So we see first, are we deciding to follow Jesus? It's a personal choice to follow Jesus or follow something else. Secondly, we see the Father's role to leave a lasting legacy of a kingdom man. A Father's role is to lead his home to serve the Lord. Or you choose, serve, you fill in the blank. And that's where we see at the end of 24 and the last part of 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Me and my house. He spoke for his house. Men lead their families. 
In your household, you're responsible. When a pipe breaks, men, it's your responsibility to fix it. Maybe some of you guys go into the garage, you grab the tools and you fix it. Others of you, you pick up a phone and you have that plumber on speed dial. He comes and fixes. But it's your responsibility to figure it out. And relationally, if there's a problem, it's your responsibility to fix it. You can't just live, oh, there's tension, whatever, we'll just go to church, do the sacred thing, but then secular, and we'll just be in that tension forever. Have you declared, as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord? I'm a servant, a humble servant, committed to fully devoted to follow Jesus, and as my household, I'm leading our house to follow Jesus. This is God's and his rule under his authority. If your wife is more knowledgeable about God's word and God than you and leads in prayer, that's awesome. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that as the leader you have to do it all, know it all, be everything, but you have to lead that and say, hey, it's time for Bible, let's open the word and can you read for us as I learn to read or as I learn to pray? Let's, and, and model that humility for your kids. They're like, dang, mom knows all this stuff, but dad's leading this and he's the one instigating it. That's awesome and, and that's great example to see. Because if you're following Jesus, if you've committed as the kingdom man to serve and follow Jesus and serve your family that way, then your friends, your neighbors, they're going to they're gonna watch and they're going to know that you're committed to following Jesus. And it's needed now more than ever to have that clarity, not confusion. And when friends come into our house, it's amazing to have that established where we're like, no, we're not going to cuss, we're not going to look at porn, we're not going to watch movies, we're not going to do things that your friends might be doing. And there's already so much of like, well, my friend's watching this, and my friend's talking about this. And it's like, yeah, there's a clear boundary of how we're under God's authority in our house. And that's what God's calling you to do as men on this Father's Day is to make that declaration. I've cho chosen to follow Jesus, and as for my household, we're going to follow Jesus. And it might be time to have some conversations as a family. Okay, here's some, some boundaries God's put in, and it's not because God's trying to control us, but because God wants us to flourish. And many men want God's covering, and they want the blessing of God, of provision on their professional life, and success in their business, and their family, but they don't want to submit to his authority. They don't want to do it God's way. They don't want to follow Jesus. They want to follow the culture. And that's what Joshua's pushing on. You guys want to have all the money and all the wealth and all this flourishing, but you want to do it the world's way. You need to do it God's way. And he's like, you may disagree with me. He's trying to be clear. There's this constant current in the culture that's always opposed to God, and it's continuing to get harder and darker and push on either you're for God or against God. But that's how it's always been. Somehow in America, we have this weird kind of like cruise control lane. I'm like, you guys, that's not how it works. You can't just do sacred for an hour and then secular and, and expect God just to bless you. You have to submit and fully commit. Jesus says, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They were really good at fishing because they were persistent. And if you've ever fished, you know why it's called fishing, not catching. Because most of the time, you're just fishing. And then hardly ever, you actually hook a fish. And then you're like, this is awesome. I'll spend the next 30 days trying to catch one more fish like I did the last 35 days. And Jesus is like, perfect. Either you guys are dumb enough or you're just committed enough. Either way, I'll take you because I'm God and I'm going to put my spirit in you. And here's the reality. 
is that term catching is actually getting people in their wrong thinking and helping them understand rightly. That's why Jesus' prayer for us was to know him is salvation. And then we would grow in that understanding. And that's why Jesus showed him, hey, cast the nets over here. I'll just put the fish in your nets. I'm choosing, I'm saving, but are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to submit to my authority? Now I'll give you authority. Now you have my covering, go cover your house. And the world is gonna notice, and then you can lead them to me. I'm serving God even if everyone's against me. Is that your declaration? Do you get up in the morning and when your feet hit the floor, man, do you, do you feel like Satan's coming after you? You should, because if you don't, you need to question, man, am I being effective at all at moving the ball down the field? Because the reality is, when we talk about God's sovereign boundaries, relationally, everything is dictated by this covenant relationship, by this football, if you will, on, on the field. If you, for most of you, you know football terminology. Everything's dictated by this, which is a representative of our covenant relationship with God. If the football's placed in the offensive line or the defensive line crosses the line of the ball, it's offsides or it's a false start. Everything's determined by this. When this goes out of bounds, the play's dead. When this crosses the goal line, it's a touchdown. When this goes through the uprights, it's a couple points. I don't know why they made all the weird points because when you look at soccer, it's, everyone's like low scoring. No, football's the same way. They just added like seven and three or six and one and it's just weird. And then all of a sudden they get up, it's like, yeah, they each scored like three touchdowns and a couple field goals and this scored one, like three to one. But no, they do it, but it's determined by this. It's that simple and it's the relationship God says, okay, like a quarterback, man, I'm handing you the ball. I'm the coach, and I'm trusting you to take care of this relationship. When it's a run play, you better not fumble. You better know to stick it to them hard. And when it's a passing play, you better know the play and execute. And I talk about Sunday morning as the football huddle, because you're all sent out to go play God's game. Are you going to play it his way, guys? Are you going to submit to his authority and then walk in that authority as kingdom men? Because what's in a, if it's a throw play, you got to be focus not on the defense who's coming to destroy you, but on the routes your wide receivers are running so you can make the play for his glory and for the win. The amazing thing, though, is men, we're built to take the hits more than our wives are. And so we have to be engaged. That's why Joshua's like, dude, as far as me, I'm ready to take the hits. As far as my house, we're serving the Lord, and we're going to trust God with the results. And we're expecting resistance. We're expecting the enemy to come after us. That's why Jesus came, died, and rose again and said, yeah, Satan's got nothing. Just keep playing the game my way with my authority. Keep trying to win people to me. Lastly, the prayer, the hope of husbands, of fathers, of dads for our kids is that they would know God's heart. How? Through prayer. We have to pray as awkward, as fumbly, as inconsistent as our prayer life might be, we need to focus on improving that. Knowing God's heart through prayer. I love the football dynamic because you pull audibles. That's real life, right? You can't just say, okay, here's what we're doing, and then all of a sudden things change, and you're like, oh, we're just gonna stay with the plan. No, you gotta pull audibles. How does that work? Through prayer. God, I don't know why there's a car horn going off. I don't know why the 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 heater just overheated. I don't know why this failed. I don't know why this 
finances are out of control. I don't know why our relationship's going crazy, but I'm going to pray. Know God's heart through prayer. What is God desiring you to do? How are you to serve? How are you to follow Jesus? Knowing God's will through his word. Isn't it interesting how just reading one verse will put you to sleep like that? But you could binge watch Netflix. You can watch, you know, you have like baseball game in the corner, another football game going on, another golf game. You have all these games going on and you're glued to the TV like for hours. It's no big deal. And everyone's drawn into it. And you'll just stay awake. But knowing God's will through his word, the enemy knows that. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 is an encouragement for us because especially today, let us not grow weary in doing good. It is so hard when no one's saying thank you, but everyone's telling playing for our football team or baseball team, just act like we want you to act, talk like we want you to talk, and everything will be fine. And Paul's saying, guys, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season you'll reap if you don't give up. It's hard to raise kids. It's hard to be a Christian in our world today, but Jesus never said, follow me, it'll be easy or fun. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the joy in serving. The joy and sacrifice comes when Jesus is in us. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's what I was saying earlier. When the world and their ideologies and their philosophies are against God, the gospel, Jesus, Paul, they never give us an out. They, oh, when, they're, when, they, when they go crazy, then no. Always do good to everyone especially on Sunday morning, especially to those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. But everyone should experience the blessing of God, his love flowing through you to them. And Romans 12, 1, lastly, reminds us that we, as Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our lives are on display as we worship God, how we follow Jesus and how we Lead our families to serve the Lord. The world takes notice. In verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Through prayer, we know God's heart. Through his word, we know his will. As we read his word to find out what his will is, and we, by testing, may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. At the end, in verse 25, Joshua made this covenant. He made this agreement. And that's what we're ending with, is saying, okay, are you going to make this agreement with God? Are you going to say, I'm a kingdom man. Come. Come back. I'll heal you. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll renew those relationships. It's not over. It's not done. That's why I can get up here every Sunday and preach, because it's not over for me either. I still have work. I still have process and progress to make. But God says, look, come to me, and I will make you fishers. I will make you good. First John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. So let's get off the seahorse or seesaw, right? We used to have those before culture said that was too dangerous for our kids or grandkids. So that's the teeter-totter. Secular for an hour, or secular for the, the week, sacred for an hour. Get off. Focus on choosing God not yourself. Choose Christ, not the culture. Kurt Warner said he grew up with the sacred for an hour and secular the rest of his life. And that was a good teeter-totter for a while until 
that got out of balance and, and the secular took over. Then his mom and people would encourage him, go to church, go talk to the pastor, he'll fix you. And then he'd go to church for an hour and then it was okay. But he said, man, it wasn't until who's now his wife and some friends helped him realize, no, Jesus died to give you a new life. Choose to follow him. Choose this day who you will serve with sincerity, a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus. And he said, it wasn't until then that I accepted Jesus, trusted in Jesus alone as my Savior, that I realized that the two weren't separate. They were connected all along. And he said, from that point on in my life, it changed. I didn't always go exactly the way I'd hoped it would go. He said, I wasn't quite, it wasn't quite the script I'd hoped would, had been written. But he says, before God saved me, I would not have been ready for this. You know, I was focused on what was really, I was not focused on what was really important in life. He said, I would have been happy to throw touchdowns. Those were awesome and win games and win the Super Bowl, but I would have done it for me because that's all I was focused on. Girls, drugs, the lust of the eyes, having all the money, having all the fame. It would all have been for me, but now I see God changed me, saved me so I can build this platform to bring him glory. So when I win the Super Bowl and I win the games and I throw the touchdowns, it's all for him and it's all from him and to him that I do this that I love. And he said, all, all I can think about is building this platform to do what I do for his glory. And as we think about our lives and what you've been given, you maybe haven't been given a Super Bowl championship team and an arm that can throw those, but you have been called to be a father. And the greatest work you do in building God's kingdom as a kingdom man is the work inside your home. And as a church, we wanna call you to make that commitment and decide, okay, what's, what's this choice that I have to make? And, and really, are you choosing to follow Jesus or are you choosing to follow yourself? Are you choosing to follow Christ or the culture? And if you choose to follow Christ, your wife and your kids and your neighbors and your coworkers, they're gonna know. They're gonna see the difference. And we're gonna see in, in Hebrews 12 too, as we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, knowing as he despised the shame that was meant for you and me. And as we have the communion passed, it's our sin. It's anything that we said, thought, or did against God that kept us from him. It's not that, that morally, culturally, we can look good that gets us into heaven. No, it's that Jesus died in our place and he rose again to give us a new identity, a new life as sons and daughters of the king and as sons to step into our authoritative role, submitting to God and leading our families as we are humble servants, fully devoted to following Jesus. If you've yet to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior, then we give you the opportunity now. With your heart you believe, with your mouth you confess that you need Jesus to save you and forgive you of your sin. We'd love to let if you let us know, we'd love to walk with you, encourage you, equip you to, in that journey. And maybe it's for your spouse, maybe it's for a marriage, maybe it's for kids. Hey, can I help, help me be a better dad or a better husband or a better father? We're here for you. God is the God who's for you. Let's pray. God, we pray as we humbly come to you, knowing there's a lot of work that you're willing to do and the church is here to be used by you and we pray for those hearts of the men here that they would say yes to you they would choose this day to serve you humbly 
and fully devoted to lead their families to serve you as well. We pray for those who personally are making that decision to serve you and, and follow you, whether they're, they're a dad or not. Lord, we, we invite them to do that and, and pray that you would save them and they would let us know so we could encourage and walk with them. We pray for those families here that are going through one of those seasons, whether it's a valley or, or a hilltop, that they would learn to be thankful in all seasons, but, but invite others to encourage them especially if they're going through a valley, that you would restore, repair, and renew their relationship, God. We pray that as we head into a time of communion, you'd prepare our hearts to experience and receive what you have to reveal to us through your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.